Okay. Grab your coffee, grab your donut, grab your seat. Grab a Bible. It's very, very good to see you all here this morning. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. We lead this church, the Southwest Sunday Vineyard. We're going to carry on looking at our, the series that we've started, looking at the book of Philippians. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Philippians. If you haven't got a Bible, there are some up here on the front, which you're welcome to take and you're welcome to keep if you don't have a Bible, but the words will come up on the screen. Uh, we're going to start in verse 12. Shh. Very silence for the reading of the word. Verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me... To live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Lord, we thank you for the word. We thank you for your scripture. We thank you for the truths that are contained within it. Lord, we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, just open up the scriptures to us this morning. Lord, that uh, Christ would be lifted high, that the kingdom of Jesus would be extended. In Jesus' name, amen. So as a missionary, so think about Paul with his kind of missionary hat on. His, his greatest desire, really, was um, that he would be able to preach the gospel in uh, Rome. And uh, as the hub of the great kind of Roman Empire, Rome was uh, the key city, the, the most important city of its um, day. And, and Paul knew this, and he, obviously, and he knew that if he could get the the gospel established in Rome, it would mean literally reaching millions of people with the wonderful good news of Jesus, and 
that good news of Jesus would then spread right across the whole Roman Empire. So Paul's thinking about it, and his plan effectively and essentially was that he would go to Rome one day as a preacher. Instead, what happens is he goes to Rome as a prisoner. Um, So he gets there, just not quite in the way that he'd intended. Now, uh, if it had been me, if if this was myself writing this letter to the church in um, Philippi, and I'm, I'm, I'm in a prison cell somewhere, or I'm under house arrest, no one seems to be able to agree which one it was, uh, but everyone is agreed that um, I would be chained to a prison officer, sort of 24 hours a day. Uh, if, this were, if this were me in that situation, uh, I'd be writing, and my writing would be, it would be, would be in one um, very long sentence. Um, with uh, lots of commas and very poor uh, punctuation. Um, I would have waxed lyrically about my misery and I would have waxed uh, eloquently about my woes. I would have been at length and at pains to point out to you all and to anyone that wanted to listen how much I was suffering for the sake of the gospel. Um, Paul, however, being uh, a tiny marginal bit more godly than... um, He sums this whole kind of thing up in um, verse 12 with just like a couple of words. He he says, what's happened to me? It's like, okay. And what he doesn't mention is what's happened to him. He doesn't mention the fact that uh, he's been arrested in the temple in Jerusalem um, because allegedly he desecrated the temple, which is quite a big deal. He'd he'd brought in some Gentiles, and that wasn't... That didn't go down very well. Uh, that was one thing. Uh, he doesn't talk about the fact that some of the Roman commanders thought that Paul was actually um, a sort of uh, Egyptian terrorist, an Egyptian renegade, um, and that he was sort of on the, the Roman most wanted list. There's, there's a verse in Acts chapter 21, verse 38, that says, uh, the Roman commander asks, asks Paul, he says, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness a short time ago? Um, Paul, through all the things that Paul's going through and gone through, he's in pretty hot water um, everywhere and with everyone. Uh, the, the, the politicians um, are after him, the clergy are after him, the authorities of the government are after him, the authorities of the synagogue are after him. And because they're all after him, it basically ends up with Paul um, ending up. He lands, he lands up in jail. He lands up in jail because of it all. And, and what happens is he, he finds himself languishing for a couple of years in a prison cell uh, in Caesarea. Uh, but because Paul is a citizen of Rome, one of the things, one of the, the privileges that every citizen of Rome had was that they could request, they could appeal for their case to be heard before Caesar. And so um, when his appeal finally comes through, Paul is sent from Caesar, he's sent to Rome. Now, because we're talking about Paul here, um, of course, on his way there, the boat that he was on got um, shipwrecked. And so he ends up spending three months on the island of uh, Malta, kind of catching up on his tan, I don't know. Uh, And then he eventually sets sail from Malta and goes to Rome for his trial. So, you know, what's happened to me sort of doesn't really quite convey 
a lot of the things that have happened. Uh, more challenging circumstances. You know, if Paul was writing his journals, you know, filling up his diary with everything that's happening to him, you know, for most of us, we would be, if those sort of things were happening to us, we would be complaining vehemently about our lot in life. But not Paul. And we looked at this last week. Because for Paul, all of his focus, all of his energy, everything that he's about goes into preaching Christ crucified and sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That's all that matters to him. And you kind of look at this and you read it and you get some of the context of the fact that all of these things that he's experiencing and yet the fact that he says, I don't really care because all I want to do is preach Christ crucified. It's sort of a bit of a kick up the backside for the rest of us as we're reading it, you know? And if, if, if you're not comfortable with the kick up the backside, it's, it's sort of a gentle exhortation. It's a, it's a gentle encouragement. And it's a gentle encouragement, basically, that if we're not, if we're not um, sharing our lives with our friends, you know, if we're not talking to our neighbors, you know, if we're not, um, as Ellie Mumford, as Ellie Mumford would always say, you've heard her say it, you know, countless times, if we're not gossiping the gospel, if we're not telling people that we believe in God the Father Almighty, you know, creator of heaven and earth, if we're not letting people know that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. If we're not letting people know that we actually believe, we, like, honestly, we really believe, that on the third day he actually rose again. Like it wasn't just a thing, but like he actually did that. We actually believe that. You know, and that we believe that he, on the third day, rose again, that he ascended to heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and that he will come back and judge the living and the dead. If we're not demonstrating through our lives, our everyday lives, that we believe in the Holy Spirit, that we believe in the um, Holy Catholic Church, you know, you know when we say that, right? Um, when we say that, you know we don't mean like, um, Roman Catholic, capital C Catholic, yeah? Did you know that? W what we mean is, we mean the Holy Catholic, small c, church universal. That's what we mean, right? Um, which, by the way, small c, church universal, includes big C Catholic. Yeah? We're all on the same page? Good. I sometimes worry, um, you know, because none of you have got the courage to say, I didn't know. You'd converted. And um, if, if through our witness, if through um, the things that we're doing and the things that we're saying, if it doesn't reflect that we believe in the communion of saints, that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, that we believe in the resurrection of the body, that we believe in the life uh, eternal, life everlasting, if we're not being single-minded about the fact that we're asking every single day for the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we can be God's witnesses in our equivalence of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the very ends of the earth, if we're not doing all of that, right, um, then to be honest, I'm not entirely sure why we're still here. Because when I, when I read this, this book, which is, this is the New Testament. It's not like I've just cut out half of the Bible. I, this is the New Testament. Um, but when, when we read the Bible, 
as far as I can tell, the only reason that um, Jesus hasn't come back yet is because he doesn't want any to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. That's what he wants. The Father wants everyone to come to repentance. And how is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? Well, uh, the word on the street is, it's actually us. The word on the streets is that it's through us. It's through this thing, this motley gathering called the church. God wants to do all of that stuff that I've just talked about through us. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. And a pretty big part of the manifold wisdom of God is God's incredible plan of redemption for the entire world. A pretty big part of that wisdom is God's gracious and merciful act of rescue for our neighbors and our families and our colleagues through the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of his one and only son, Jesus. And for some reason... God has chosen me. God has chosen you. God has chosen us to pioneer and to spread this gospel, to, to advance the rule and reign of the kingdom of God, using, um, it would seem, whatever means you like to see the people around you come alive, to come into real life as they follow the person of Jesus. And that's why we're running Alpha. That's one of the reasons that we are running Alpha in, in three locations in the areas where this church lives and moves and has its being, right? Where you live and where you have relationships with people and where you work and where, you, where we all sort of do life with people. So that all of those people that we've been living alongside and all of those people that we've been gossiping the gospel to and all of those people that we've been telling of God's goodness and his grace and his mercy and his kindness to us, all those people that we've been praying for and ministering to, we can now invite them all, or, or even better, we can, we can go with them to a local Alpha so that they can find out for themselves, as Ryan was saying, how wonderful and life-changing and real this Jesus of Nazareth really is. And the reason what Paul's saying here is a gentle encouragement is because um, we are to look at our lives. We are to take a, a, a hit the pause button we're to take a look at our lives and we're to honestly ask ourselves, in what ways am I seeing the manifold wisdom of God made known through my life? How am I seeing the manifold wisdom of God made known through my life? What am I doing? How am I living life in such a way that this is making a difference to any of the people around me? And if, if we don't like what we see, it's okay. You know, it's, it's not a guilt trip. If we don't like what we see, then just bring what we see to the foot of the cross and just repent and say, sorry, I think I've missed it. I think I've been missing it. Lord, in your goodness and your grace and your mercy, will you forgive me and will you come and fill me with your Holy Spirit? Will you empower me? Will you equip me? Will you give me everything that I need? Will you lead me in all truth so that we can um, get back on the horse and just get out there and do the very job that we've been called to do? Uh, Paul, he doesn't get his, um, his joy, we've been talking about joy, he doesn't get his joy from a set of ideal circumstances, which for Paul is just as well because he doesn't ever have any ideal circumstances. Um, Paul finds his joy in talking to people about Jesus. Paul finds his joy in seeing people come to faith in Jesus. Paul finds his joy 
in seeing people's lives transformed. Nothing else matters. And if his circumstances, no matter how arduous, no matter how onerous they are, if they enabled the furtherance of the gospel, that was all that mattered to him. And it's this word furtherance that I want us to just focus on today. Because what it means is it means to pioneer. It means to advance. The, the, the word um, from the Greek, of course, it's referring to army engineers who would literally kind of go out ahead of the, the rest of the troops and they'd kind of open up the territory for them. And so Paul, here he is, instead of finding himself confined and restricted as a prisoner in chains, which is what he is, Paul actually discovers that in the midst of all of these terrible circumstances, it's actually God, the Spirit of God, somehow is opening up opportunities for the gospel to be extended, new areas of ministry to be to pressed into, the kingdom of God to be extended. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to be pioneers. We are called to advance the kingdom of God. And, and the truth is that sometimes the Lord will allow some pretty random circumstances to come our way so that we can be those pioneers. And we look at them and go, prison? Seriously? And God goes, yeah, seriously. Great, great opportunity for expanding the kingdom of God. Let's go for it, Paul. We're like, going, huh, really? Did I have to end up in jail? Yeah, yeah. We can make something of this. Let's do it together. That's what the Lord's saying. We don't always understand it, but sometimes God in his sovereignty, sometimes God in his goodness and his grace, his mercy and, he, and his kindness, he actually uses some pretty strange things in our lives to help us advance the kingdom of the gospel. And we're going to look at some of them that we see here in, with Paul. They, they, they help him. They're bizarre things, but they actually help for the gospel to be extended to the Praetorian Guard um, and then right out across the Roman Empire. And the, the first is, um, his, uh, it's actually his chains. Have a look at verses 12 to 14. Um, and this thing about God using ordinary things, if you're not convinced, excuse me, think about Moses and his staff. Think about the jars in the story of Gideon. Think about David's sling. Think about the cross of Christ. Ordinary things that God uses for, to demonstrate his power and to see the kingdom of God extended. And in Paul, the first thing we see is the, the very thing that the Romans had intended to keep Paul prisoner and to keep him captive and are his chains. God actually uses them to set Paul free, to see the kingdom of God extended. And Paul doesn't complain about his predicament. What he actually does is he consecrates those chains to the Lord and says, I'm in chains. If this is going to help advance the gospel, I'm all in. And what his chains actually do is they, they, they connect him to different groups of people. First of all, um, they connect Paul with the lost. So here he is. He's chained to a prison guard, a soldier, for 24 hours a day. Now, I don't know what the, the, how the rotors worked for the soldiers, but you know, let's just say they do six hours shifts on and then six hours off. Maybe there's four soldiers that Paul is chained to in a 24-hour period. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have been chained to Paul for six hours? Seriously. You know, if, chances are he's like praying ceaselessly, you know, and, and thanking the Lord constantly. So that's one thing he's doing, and you're just chained to him. And then probably when he's taking a breath, if he takes a breath, that's when he turns on you and starts interrogating you about your life and what you're doing with your life and what you're called to and then there's all that. And then when he's not doing that, he's probably trying to write some letters to some church somewhere or to 
encourage some Christians somewhere else. It, it's, it's got to be pretty intense. It's got to be pretty relentless. And so what happens, of course, is, you know, Paul, by his example, impacts these people so much that they start to give their life to Jesus. They start to give their lives to Jesus, and the gospel is advanced. And, you know, as we were reading this, it reminded me so much of Linda. <laughs> you know, we've been talking about Linda over these last few weeks. Here she is. Linda is chained by her cancer, and yet, talk about the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, Linda has led more people to Jesus since she's been sick than she ever did when she was well. And having known her for nearly 30 years, she led a lot of people to Jesus. She has led a lot of people to Jesus. An example of someone that we all know who hasn't let her circumstances drag her down, but has risen beyond them to further the gospel. So Paul sharing his faith in this way to these Roman soldiers gets the gospel to the very heart of the Roman Empire through the Praetorian God. Um, then he's connected, these chains connecting with another group of people, and it's, this time it's the powerful people. Because Paul's trial that's going to Rome is going to be heard by the government, the Roman government. And it's not only Paul that's on trial, it's Christ who's on trial. Paul is going to be pleading the case for Christ. Paul is going to be pleading the case for Christ's cause. Paul is going to be pleading the case for what will become Christ's church. And all of it is being heard right at the very center of the Roman government. And they're going to be deciding, what do they do with this new sect? Is it just some random, another, another sect of the Jews? You know, is it some, uh, something subversive? What are we going to do with it? And sometimes the truth of the matter is, is that um, we get to experience something of Paul's um, chains. You know, maybe it's uh, some of you just have young children. Um, I say this very cautiously. But um, sometimes, if we're honest, if we've had children or if we have young children, there's a feeling that comes sometimes, you know, for young mums and dads, that you literally feel like you are chained to the house. It's like you live your life around school runs and bath times and feeding times and nap times and everything times. And, of course, you love it and it's all amazing, but you feel like, I just can't get out anymore. You sort of, you would never say it like this, of course, because you love it, but you sort of secretly think, I feel chained, trapped. Get me out. I'm going to go back to work, whatever it is. Do you know what? Um, whilst you may, at that life stage, feel chained, um, can I say to you that that life stage is probably one of the best, most opportune life stages to talk to people about Jesus? There's something that happens when you have young children. You know, no one will ever talk to me because I'm terrifying. Um, I, like Mike, do you see? And, um, but when you have children, it's like when you have, have a dog, get a dog. People suddenly start talking to you, and you can tell them all kinds of things about your faith and what you believe and all kinds of things. You go to the school gate, and you're waiting. You've got nothing else to do apart from pray for people, and it becomes an amazing time. Some of you are seeing incredible things happening at that life stage. Maybe, as we've seen with Linda, our chains are our health or our lack of it. You know, and you're thinking, well, you know, it's pretty rough. Well, yes. Uh, but sometimes, even in the midst of challenging health situations, and sometimes, actually, um, there are, again, wonderful opportunities, the Lord turns even those situations around for the furtherance of the gospel. 
And the secret is, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, the, the secret to all of this is when we have that single-minded focus that we talked about last week, what happens is we begin to see our circumstances and our situations, whether they're good or whether they're bad, we begin to see them as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel. And because of that, we begin to find joy because we're no longer shaken by our circumstances because we see how God is redeeming them. And we don't focus so much on what God doesn't seem to be doing, but we spend our time celebrating what God is going to do. And then the last thing of this bit is that Paul's chains gave him an opportunity to um, encourage and give courage to the saints. Um, Many of the, um, the believers in Rome and, and in Philippi, they, they took, they had this fresh courage. They were encouraged when they saw Paul's faith and his determination. And in in one, Philippi, uh, 1 verse 14, it says, they, um, they, had, they had much more boldness to speak the word without fear. And, and the word speak here doesn't translate as preach. It's not preach. It's more like an everyday conversation. And um, spurred on, you know, by the examples of people around us who are facing really difficult situations and yet seem to be rising above them all because of their faith in Jesus should be something that we talk about. It's part of the gossiping of the gospel. You don't even have to talk about your story. Just make, tell them somebody else's story. Share the gospel sort of, you know, vicariously or whatever the word is. You know, um, we've talked to a lot of people a lot about Linda. People in the church, people outside the church. And we've noticed a couple of things. One is, because of her example, we have had this renewed boldness to speak the word without fear. We feel like it's so incredible. We have to tell you, you're compelled. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, their response is incredible. When people hear of Linda's story, when they hear of how she's dealing with this, how she's dying so incredibly well, people of no faith are filled with faith. They're filled with hope. They're excited. They're longing. They tell me more. I want to know more about this. How can she be like that in such a terrible set of circumstances? Well, because of Jesus, of course. Even when our chains are challenging or difficult, there's no reason why God can't uh, turn them and use them in some way for his Glory, time and time and time again, we see right throughout the scriptures, it's a story of redemption. It's a story of God turning things that the enemy would try to use to rob and to steal and to kill and to spoil and to destroy. And the Spirit of God comes in and says, no, 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 no. We're going we're gonna to turn this around. And what God does is he creates spaces and places of, of hope and life and joy and resurrection. Where none of those things existed. That's the miracle of the, the Bible. It's the miracle of the cross. That's the foundation on which we stand. And then another thing that God seems to use um, uh, with Paul and also with us are his critics. Um, have a look at verses 15 to 19. It seems really weird for us to believe when you're reading this, but a lot of Paul's opposition, or some of Paul's opposition, in actual fact, came from the believers in Rome, some of the believers in Rome. Uh, the churches there were divided. Uh, some of them were preaching Christ uh, sincerely. They wanted people to know Jesus fully, and they wanted people to live the full life that comes as a result of following Jesus. 
But other people, um, they had selfish ambitions. Their, their motives were a little bit off, uh, offline, and, and really what they were trying to do was damage Paul's reputation in the way that they were conducting themselves. And Paul's aim was to glorify Christ so that people would follow Jesus, and these other people, their aim was to glorify themselves so that people would follow them. That's kind of the difference between the two. But again, you see the single-minded focus that Paul has is um, no matter what's going on, even in the midst of all this criticism and opposition and people trying to kind of challenge him, he just sees it as another opportunity for for the furtherance of the gospel. And so you read the text and it's like Paul doesn't even seem to care that people, some people are for him, some people are against him. He doesn't care at all. All that matters to him is that Jesus is preached. So, Jesus, uh, so Paul sees the gospel advance in spite of the chains that are holding him, in spite of the criticisms that he's getting. Um, and then he sees it advance through the, just through the whole crisis that he's facing. Um, have a look at verses 20 to 26. It's looking pretty likely that um, Paul was going to be um, found to be effectively a traitor in Rome, and then he would be executed. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I think that constitutes a crisis. For me, that would feel like fairly, fairly yes. I, I think I would rank that up there as trauma. Um, his preliminary case would have seemed to have gone, his trial seemed to have gone uh, in his favor, but the final verdict was yet to come. But for Paul, even his own body is just not his own. And so, again, he has this very... Um, faith-filled approach to this because his only desire is that Christ is glorified through him. It's like, you do with me as you see fit, as long as Christ is glorified, as long as the name of Jesus is lifted high. And Paul's whole approach to life, he's sort of like a telescope. Um, and a telescope, the, the purpose and the design of a telescope uh, is, is, is to magnify yeah, it's to, to magnify the stars and to make them seem like they're near. So you look through the telescope, you go, oh, they're so near, it's right here. That thing which feels remote and distant actually gets magnified through a telescope. And in the same way as followers of Jesus, our purpose and our design is to magnify the Lord Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, we are to be kingdom telescopes. And, and, and what we're supposed to do, we're, we're to bring the wonderful person of Jesus nearer to all the people that we live and work and do life with. You see, because for most of the people that we know, Jesus is like some vague figure. He, he's kind of shrouded in history. He, he like... He like lived hundreds of years ago. It's like, yeah, I know about him, but it's like, no, 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 no. Have a, have a look through this. And then what we do is, with our lives, we hand them a telescope, and they twiddle it and do the stuff you do with the telescope, and they look and go, oh, wow, look at that. It's so near. So, yeah, that's how near he is. What happens is these people watch us. They watch us. And trust me, people around you are watching you all the time. They watch us go through crisis and different situations. 
in the same way that we've seen, um, you know, happening with Linda. And in the way that we handle ourselves, the way that we conduct ourselves, as we are honest and real, we don't have to just, like, pretend that everything's marvelous. But as we are genuine in our faith, yeah, Jesus is magnified. We're genuine in our doubts, Jesus is magnified. And he's suddenly made so much more real. He's, made, he's brought so much nearer to people for whom he would have sometimes perhaps felt far off. And nowhere does this magnification um, become more apparent, I think, than I think what is being said here, um, is through our attitude and our approach to death and dying. Because our culture is terrified of it. Our society is terrified. And most of us are terrified of it. But it's a phenomenal opportunity. It's like one of those super Hubble telescopes. Like it can see really far. Have a look at verse 21. Paul writes, for me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Um, Paul isn't in the least bit afraid of life or death. He's not in the least bit afraid of living or dying. None of it holds any, it has no hold over him. It doesn't hold any fear for him. Either way, alive or dead, living or dying, he says it's sort of the same to me. Um, all I want, whether that's through my life or whether that's through my death, is I want Jesus to be magnified. So that when I come to that point, my life is like a telescope and everyone who's near me can look through it and go, Jesus is so near. He's like right here. He goes on in verse 22 and he says this. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And then he's got this kind of strange, yeah, what shall I choose? What should I choose? I, mean, I don't know. I just don't know. I'm torn. To be honest, I'm, I'm torn between the two. And then he says this. He says, I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. So on the one hand, he's saying, uh, and then he actually puts his eggs in the basket and goes, do you know what? I desire to depart to be with Jesus because that is better by far. But... I think you guys could do with me sticking around for a bit longer because you haven't quite got it together. So I know that I'm probably not going to die quite yet, but it may not be long. So I'll stick around for a bit longer. And it'll be great, okay, because it'll be a fruitful labor for me. But actually, it would be better by far if I could go, to, go home to be with Jesus. Doesn't hold any fear for him. Doesn't hold any terror. This word... Um, departing, the word depart that's used here. It's the word that was used of soldiers um, when they would take down their tents and move on. Like, you know, you've got all these soldiers and they're all in these tents, yes, in the old days, right? Um, and they're all in their tents, like, sort of like end of new wine, right? You know, they take down their tents and then they move, they move on. That's it. That's dying. You know, it's this incredible picture of what dying for a Christian is like. You know, it's this earthly tent, this frail and flimsy body of ours um, that lets in water and the damp. We've all been to New Wine, so we know how ineffective tents really are at their job. 
um, you know, they, they, they let in the damp, they let in the cold. Uh, that tent, this tent is getting taken down so that I, so that we can move on. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, he says, For we know that if this earthly tent in which we live, our body, we know that if it's destroyed, we get, we have, not just a tent anymore, it's like property ladder skyrocketing. Because we don't get a tent anymore, what do we get? We get a building. And we get a building not made by human hands, we get a building crafted for us by God. So when we die, as Christians, we're trading camping for like luxury living. <laughs> yeah, it's better for me to go to be home with Jesus. You bet. Who would want to camp? <laughs> Ever. <laughs> sailors, sailors use this. It's the same word that sailors use. And when sailors use it, they're using it to describe um, being literally at the sort of at the dockside and loosening the ropes. Loosening the ropes. There's a, there's a boat, there's a ship in harbour. Loosening the ropes so that the ship can set sail. That's the image. That's the image of departing. That's what, that's what death for a Christian looks like. Um, Tennyson uses it in his poem, Crossing the Bar. Tolkien uses it, uh, the same pic, the metaphor. It, you know, uh, when uh, Frodo and Bilbo and Gandalf and all the, the fellowship, well, as many of them are allowed on the, the boat, go off for the undying lands. And then lastly, it's also a judicious term. So this depart, this departure, there's also a kind of a judicious uh, expression and meaning within it. And what it describes is it describes the setting free of a prisoner. It describes the release of a captive. And as such, we're all to some extent or another, we're restricted in our movements because of the limitations of our physical selves. But because of what Christ has done at the cross, in death, in our death, or in the return of Jesus, whichever comes first, okay? But effectively, in death, we're set, we're set free. And that's why Paul says, I desire to depart. I, I, I long to go home. I want to go home to be with Jesus. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. And so, this stuff's important because no matter what's going on in our lives, we need to get this kind of heavenly and eternal perspective. Because sometimes we're a little bit too citizens of this world and not enough citizens of heaven. We'll come on to that later on. But if we can stand on the truths of the scripture, if we can keep fixing our eyes on Jesus, if we can keep encouraging one another, um, if we can keep pressing on the pedal of uh, furthering and advancing the kingdom of God through the spreading and the, through the, the sharing of the gospel. And do you see how our joy is just going to just overflow? We're just so peace. We're so much at peace. We're just joy is just going to bubble up. We don't have to go and find it. It's just going to bubble up. It's going to well up because nothing is getting us down anymore. Oh, my circumstances are great. They're terrible, actually, but I can spread the gospel. That's great. Oh, live, die, live, die. doesn't matter. It's great, do you see? Because I know 
the rock on which I stand. Not our circumstances, not our our critics, not our crisis. None of that is going to rob us of our joy. We want to be a people who every single one of us can say, "For, for, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Why don't you stand and we'll minister to one another.